<laughs> so good to see you today. My name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free Church. Sharon, you're still a loving person, almost all the time, except for when you bring in that liquid nitrogen bottle. <laughs> if you ever go into Dr. Sharon with some little cancerous, precancerous cell on your face, it's going to be painful. <laughs> but I know you still love me, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, we are in uh, this message series called Citizens of Another Kingdom, and uh, we're talking about the right-side-up kingdom of God. We're in week two of this as we're looking at the Beatitudes. If you want to turn with me now to Matthew chapter 5, that's where we'll be here today. Matthew chapter 5 in the New Testament, first book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the teachings of Jesus as he announces the kingdom of God, his first public sermon, at least as it's recorded by the book of Matthew, is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we get a beautiful portrait of what the kingdom of God looks like and just how very different it is than the kingdoms of this world. We'll call her Rima. Rima is part of the untouchable caste. She's the lowest of the low in South Asia. You find people like Rima in places like Bangladesh or Nepal or India, and she's part of a Hindu culture that has a caste system that segregates people based on their social standing that they were born into. And Rima's called an untouchable and Others like her are called untouchable because literally she is not to be touched. She's consigned for her life to be in isolation and perhaps to be a street sweeper. You'll regularly see people like Rima as you go through one of those countries holding these hand-woven brooms that might be by their side that they've personally put together and their lives consist of this, sweeping up the trash after others, isolated from others. A woman named Kay Strom, an American journalist and Christian author, went to India to interview Rima and a number of other untouchable caste women who had converted out of the Hinduistic culture that they were raised in and had become Christians. And they left all of that, and in embracing Christ, they had experienced a fair bit of persecution. If their lives weren't bad enough, they also experienced persecution for their faith. And Ms. Strom began to interview them, and the interview lasted a couple hours, but by the end of the interview, Rima and the other untouchable women had some questions for her about her faith in, American, in America as a Christian. And so Rima asked Ms. Strom, can you, can you please tell me, like, have you had the experience of losing your job because you are a Christian? And Kay Strom responded, no, I, I haven't had that experience. Well, like, how about losing your house because you are a Christian? Have you had that experience? No, haven't had that either. Do you go hungry do, do, are, are you hungry on a regular basis for being a Christian? That like people deny you food because of your faith? And Miss Strom just kind of stared at her. And, and, and finally, Rima said, like, have you ever been thrown in the fire? 
because someone found out you're a Christian? And Kay Strom, as she tells the story, looked her in the eyes kind of uncomprehendingly, and she just said, no, those kinds of things don't happen to us who follow Christ in America. To which Rima and the other untouchables looked at her, and they stared kind of uncomprehendingly, and they asked, if it doesn't cost you anything, how do you in America know what it means to be a Christian? If it doesn't cost you anything, and Jesus talked about the cost of discipleship, how do you in America know what it means to be a Christian? I don't know about you, but sometimes I get so focused on what's going on in my little neck of the woods that I fail to consider what's going on for my brothers and sisters overseas. How about you? I don't think about enough. I don't remember enough. I don't pray enough for my brothers and sisters overseas that are experiencing the kinds of things that Rima and other untouchables and so many others around the world experience. Let me share with you a couple statistics. Roughly 90,000 People are martyred for their faith around the world every year. 90,000 martyred for their faith in Jesus every year. 200 million Christians live in restricted nations that are hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ, where in one way, shape, or form, they encounter some kind of physical persecution, sometimes even violence, in response to their faith in Jesus Christ. This is in 61 nations across the world, and indeed, the most violent century in church history toward Christians was the 20th century. And still, people like Rima and 200 million others across the world move on in faith through Jesus Christ, their Savior. Now, if you're anything like me, you hear those statistics, you hear those stories, and you say, I need to pray more for those men and women. That's one response. But another response, if you're anything like me, is, oh, I'm so thankful, God, that I don't have to deal with persecution like that. Anyone else? Okay, that's a natural and perhaps a good response, that we don't have to experience that. But then in comes Jesus with his Beatitudes. And the longest of the eight Beatitudes that include this word, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom. This is another one of his eight upside down, right side up, turning what we believe is upside down into right side up, kingdom of God statements as it relates to the blessed life. He's not saying that we try for persecution. He's saying if you are persecuted for righteousness sake, guess what? God is very near to you there. Just like he's saying in the other Beatitudes, if you're stuck in the mud... If you're deep in the valley, if you're a nobody in this world, you're a somebody to God. Come on, somebody. You're a somebody to God if you're ignored and passed over by this world. The kingdom of God is near. It's very near to us right there. 
As you look again here at Matthew chapter 5, it strikes me that the Beatitudes are almost like this blueprint for the kind of life that Jesus lived. I'm telling you, like if you immerse yourself in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just see the kinds of people that Jesus chose to spend time with, it's these kinds of people that are listed out in the Beatitudes. Day and night, week after week, year after year, he was with the nobodies of this world, making them feel like they were somebody. It starts at verse 3, as we noted last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And perhaps there we would think of Jesus going to those who are beaten down by life in such a way that they're either physically or emotionally or relationally poor and isolated. We think of him feeding the 5,000 or feeding the 4,000. He cares for the poor. He's near to those who are poor physically and those who are poor in spirit. And a lot of times those two are one and the same. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And perhaps we would think there about how Jesus interacted with these two ladies named Mary and Martha, and how when their dear brother died, what did Jesus do? He wept. He He mourned with them. He wept with them. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And sometimes, unfortunately, we think of meekness as weakness. But that's not a biblical definition of meekness. Meekness or gentleness is strength under control. And so you think of Jesus, how precise he was with all of his words. When he decided to rip the Pharisees a new one, he was very precise with it. Okay? And at times he was even meek and gentle in the way he implored them to come back to God. Or you think of him with little children when he says, blessed are these little children. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He was meek. He was gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus was always hungering and thirsting for more righteousness amongst his people. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Again, you think of Jesus with those who are blind with those who are disabled, how merciful he was to each of them, even as the Roman world would simply dispose of them. Blessed are the pure in heart. We sometimes forget that Jesus not only was the most intelligent man who ever lived, not only is he savior of the world, but also he's pure in heart. There was no sin on his mouth. There was no sin in his heart. There was never a sin in his actions. He was pure in thought, word, and deed. Blessed are the peacemakers. He was the ultimate peacemaker, wasn't he? Like, if you look at the cross, you see the peacemaker. He was the peacemaker, though, that made peace but between you and God, between me and God, between anyone who bows the knee to Jesus, between us and God. And then finally, verse 10, the last paradox in these beatitudes, the last oxymoronic blessing, if you will, is the longest one, verse 10. You'll see it on the screen as you follow along in your Bible. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Now, we should just acknowledge that when we hear these words of Jesus or we hear these words of Rima, we are indeed thankful 
for the religious liberties that we have in the United States that we don't experience the level of violent physical persecution that the early disciples experienced and that many Christians around the world experience. But saying that, I do want to ask this question. If Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, could it be that there is something missing in our faith journey if we never experience that? Like, think about that for a moment. Could it be, if Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and we never experience standing strong for Jesus and receiving some insult because of that, that maybe we're missing something important that he wants to give to us. I want to make the case, though, this morning that though we're not likely to experience the grinding, oppressive, like pestle of persecution that our brothers and sisters in so many other places around the world experience. I want to make the case though this morning that if you stand for Christ 100% with grace and truth, loving words and loving actions, true words and loving actions all the time, if you do that as a course of life, you're likely to experience some of this. And when you do, you might even learn to count it a blessing. Here's the big idea, though, this morning. When you're persecuted, you're actually close to God. You're very close to God when you're being persecuted for God. Let's read this out loud together from the screen. You're very close to God when you're being persecuted for God. We're actually close to God because Jesus says, you're like me. You become more like me You get to share in my sufferings when you're insulted or ridiculed for your faith in me. Now, I'll just confess here at the front end that many years ago, I I just didn't have much sympathy. When I heard Americans say they were being persecuted for their faith, I just kind of rolled my eyes at that. And that was an error on my part, okay? I kind of felt like, well, I know what Christians go through in other areas of the world. I've seen it firsthand from brothers and sisters around the world, and I read these stories of missionaries. And so, like, I just, come on, we we, we have it pretty easy in the West. That was kind of my response. I I don't feel that way anymore. And I've changed my tune on that because as I've grown in my faith, I've experienced persecution. Okay, maybe it's not the same kind that Rima goes through. But I've experienced ridicule. And perhaps you have as well. And when you do, you know how painful it is to be rejected by people you love for your most dearly held beliefs. Even a couple weeks ago, I was leading a Bible study in another organization here in town, which will remain nameless. I don't do all my stuff just in the church. I was leading in another organization in town, and as I was leading this Bible study, a gentleman came into the room where I was leading, and he walked up to me in a haste, and he came face to face with me such that I could smell his breath. 
And as he looked at me, the next thing he did was put his finger between my eyebrows and with spittle coming out from his mouth, he said, get your stupid religion out of here, you stupid bleeping imbecile. Along with some other choice words which cannot be repeated in church. And it didn't feel good. And I had to stop and take a deep breath and then another one <laughs> and remind myself of the words of Jesus and then pray. And then after about 30 seconds, we continued on with our Bible study and we had a great Bible study. Okay? These things are gonna happen. Now even so, that's not really a big deal that's someone I don't know. Perhaps he recognized me. That's not someone that I know. So it really didn't hurt me that much. I, it's been a while since someone said those words to me. <laughs> so I had to kind of check myself. Um, but it didn't hurt that much. What hurts is when you experience it from family. Or from dear friends. And I've experienced that. And I'm not going to go into that right now. But I've experienced that, and I guarantee you it hurts. And many of you have as well. And in that moment, you have to have the words of Jesus ringing in your ears once again as you prepare to respond. Because rejection tears at the soul. Okay, it may not be physical violence, but rejection tears at the soul. And if we're going to stand for Christ 100% of the time, fully with grace, always with grace, always with love, and with truth, then Jesus promises from time to time there will be persecution. In fact, there's a promise in Scripture on a number of occasions that we will be persecuted for Christ. Here's the next fill in the blank. There's a promise of persecution. Just imagine with me a couple scenarios. Imagine with me that you're in the cafeteria over at UNK or maybe at your local high school, or maybe you're at a neighborhood coffee group that you gather together in a local cafe. And in that coffee group, someone brings up the latest conflict that's going on in the Middle East. And as they bring up the latest conflict in the Middle East, they say, you know, what is it with all these religions of the world? Why can't they just get along? And like, don't they understand that basically they all just teach the same thing you be a good person, you're nice to each other, you believe in God, and then you'll earn your way to heaven. And you sit there and you pause and everyone around you is kind of nodding their heads in agreement. And you say to yourself, no, that's not accurate. And so you just go ahead and you ask, well, like what leads you to the conclusion that they're all teaching the same thing? How'd you develop that idea that all the different religions of the world are teaching the same thing? And nobody's ever asked them that question, and so they're not really sure how to answer. And the cat kind of gets their, their tongue, and because you asked with kindness and with gentleness in your voice, with genuine love and curiosity, they turn the tables and they say, well, like, what do you think? Do you think they all teach the same thing? Or, like, is there something different about between Judaism and Islam and Christianity that seem to be at war in the, the Middle East? And you say, well, like, they really don't teach the same thing. In some ways, they, they teach some similarities, 
related to kindness, but they have different views of things like the nature of God and the nature of humanity and where we come from and where we're going and what is meaning and what is morality and what is destiny. You know, small things like that. (laughs) And then they say, okay, well, maybe they don't teach the exact same thing, but you must believe that these are all just different paths to God, right? Like you go up the mountain, you take different paths, but you all get to the top of the mountain. And you say once again, again, like why, why would you believe that? Tell me how you came to that conclusion. And they're, they're pressing you now, what do you believe? And you simply say, I don't have all the answers, but I know someone who has changed my life. I know someone who has forgiven me when I didn't know what to do with my sin. I know someone who gave me peace when I had no peace. And that someone said things like, I am the way to God. And I am the truth of God. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. But what happens next? I'll tell you what happens next. All of those students in the local cafeteria who have never been excited for class before are all of a sudden looking at their watches and grabbing their backpacks. Okay? And maybe in the coffee shop, the other gentleman get up and they leave, and maybe one of them kind of gets agitated, and he says, let me tell you about my non-believing, loving mother who just died here a couple years ago. Are you so intolerant, Adrian? Okay, you're not all of a sudden Mr. Popularity. That's what Jesus is talking about. Likewise, imagine you are dating your girlfriend, and you're getting pretty serious, and you decide to, to get engaged, And as you get engaged, your friends start asking, well, so when are you going to move in together? And you say, after we say, I do. And they're like, huh? What's that about? Never heard of such a thing. And trust me, they haven't. And they tell you, well, like, everybody moves in ahead of time together to kind of give each other a test drive of sorts to to be sure it's the right thing, but before they get married... And after a while of this, even your parents are telling you, listen, you're going to get married. You might as well save a few thousand dollars on rent and go ahead and move in together. And in that moment, as you're getting pressure from your peers and pressure from your friends and even pressure from your parents, you're asked, what are you going to do? And you say, no. I just believe that following Jesus 100% is better than saving a few dollars. And I just believe that he'll reward my obedience to him, and so I'm going to go with him and trust in him, even if it's different from what everyone is doing in 2022, even though that's different than what everyone did just about 30 or 40 years ago, okay? I'm telling you, in that moment, you're no longer Mr. and Mrs. Popularity. You start to feel some of this marginalization but if we live that way if we speak that way here's the reward if you live that way and you speak that way always in love always with grace my friends you will set yourself apart to be used by God in a different way it's courage that is required today it's conviction that is required today it's love 
that is required today. And when we have a backbone of steel combined with the heart of velvet, you set yourself apart. Now the promise is this, from the Apostle Paul to Timothy in the church in Ephesus, in fact, everyone who chooses to live that way with congruence between words and deeds, love and truth, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Congratulations. Let's turn that into a t-shirt, huh? That'll be a good bumper sticker. That one will sell some. Okay, you won the lottery. Congratulations, Christian. You'll get some persecution now. This tough. It's really, really tough. But over time, conviction and courage with love are inspiring. Now, here's the key in all of this. Look at verse 10. Well, once again, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? What does it say? Anybody? Let's say it together. Persecuted because of righteousness. Why? Because of righteousness. So, does it say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they're jerks? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. I'm going to meddle with you for just a moment here. Okay. Blessed are those who are persecuted as they stand for Christ 100%, as they act with grace and truth, as they speak with love and humility, as they act the way Jesus would, as they speak the way Jesus would. There is no reward for those who would insult those who believe different than them. There are Christians that seem to hold like an insult back from someone who believes different than them like as a badge of honor. Of honor. Look at me, I was persecuted. And then they turn it into a fight to win. We're not trying to win fights, friends. We're trying to win people toward Christ. We're not trying to win fights. We're trying to love people toward Christ. We're trying to win relationships, not win any wars. And it's it's grievous to the heart of God when Christians insult people who hold different beliefs than they do. It's grievous to the heart of God. When we speak of those stupid liberal Democrats or those archaic backward Republicans or those crazy Buddhists or those nutso Muslims or whatever it is that we use, all those adjectives that we put in front of these labels, Christians should never do that because there will be no reward in heaven for being a jerk on earth. Okay? Like, this is what we have to hold on to. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive all by itself. We need not add any offense to it. Amen? It's offensive all by itself. We don't add any offense to it. We lead the way with grace and truth. It starts with grace, we follow with truth, and then we tolerate those with whom we disagree. Like the way Christians stand out as beacons of light and righteousness in this world is that we're loving to those with whom we disagree. We don't insult them, we don't talk bad about them but behind their back. We don't echo what we hear on social media or from the cable newscast. We're not with the right side people or the left side people, we're with the kingdom of God people. That's how you stand apart in a world that is increasingly dark and known by the kingdoms of this world that says, this is my tribe and this isn't my tribe. No, we lead with grace. We follow with tolerance toward those with whom we disagree. Even more than tolerance, we love. We love those with whom we disagree. And when we do that under pressure, the promise is we will receive reward. 
There are these rewards of persecution. I want to give you three from the book of 1 Peter. And if you want to turn there with me, you can. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you, uh, if you want to look at it later on, though, that's fine. I would even encourage you, as it relates to the topic at hand today, to read the entire book of 1 Peter. It's just about five pages. Yeah, you can read it though, this afternoon, even as a family, or though, this week, yeah, you can read your way through it. But 1 Peter is written to Jewish Christians in the first century that are experiencing intense persecution. And what Peter is doing is he's telling the, these Jewish Christians that you should expect it. And he's telling them over and over again, here's the deal, my friends, you are foreigners in this world. So you may live amongst the kingdoms of this world called Rome or the United States or Israel or whatever else. You may live amongst the kingdoms of this world, but your citizenship is a different kingdom. And because your citizenship is a different kingdom, you're actually foreigners in this world. You're exiles in this world. And as exiles in this world, even in the best of kingdoms in this world, sometimes you're gonna be treated as other than. Sometimes you can be treated as foreigners. And if you ever lived in a foreign nation, you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you're a foreigner here today and you probably know well, what I'm talking about, that at one point or another, you just feel like, yeah, I kind of belong, but I kind of don't really belong. I lived in a foreign nation, and I felt that way regularly. The people were very, very kind to me in that country, but regularly it was like, eh, I don't really belong here, and occasionally it was like, let's get to the point, when are you leaving? Occasionally that was kind of the question. Like, you're not staying here too long, are you? because I was a foreigner, okay? Foreigners in this world who are citizens of another world should expect that, not be surprised by it, not get all ticked off because of it. No, we respond as Christ would in the midst of it. This passage is so good. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 16. Dear friends, do not be surprised. <laughs> Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Like, what's he saying there? Like, it's going to happen. Don't be surprised well, when you're insulted for righteousness' sake. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal as if it's strange. It's normal because we're citizens of another kingdom. But rejoice instead. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of God, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed of it, but praise God that you bear that name. So what Peter's going to do here is he promises the church these three rewards of persecution that they should expect. And I just want to talk about them very, very briefly but before I wrap up. He says in verse 13, Rejoice inasmuch as you share in the sufferings of Christ. As we suffer for righteousness, for the cause of Christ, we can rejoice because we remember we're identified with the suffering servant who suffered for us, and so if we get to suffer for him, praise God. 
Okay? Here's the fill in the blank. Suffering for the sake of Christ reinforces who we belong to. When we suffer for the sake of Christ, it reinforces that we belong to the suffering servant who suffered for us. It reminds us that this world is not our home and that we belong to one who offers something that's far better than the worldly kingdoms of this world which run on lust and power and status and prestige. We belong to another kingdom that runs on humility and love and mercy and justice and truth and righteousness. A different kingdom. And in that kingdom we know that we will be rejected. But I'm fully loved by God. I'm fully known by God. And so I don't really care if I'm rejected by any of you. Like that's where you get to land as you dwell in this. Number two, suffering for the sake of Christ reinforces that he is with us. Doesn't suffering of all kinds do this? Like, no matter what kind of suffering you go through, part of the reason that you can rejoice is because you experience, as you fall to your knees, wow, God is with me in a different way than when life is just comfortable. And especially so, when we suffer for the name of Christ, my experience has been, that's when God has been particularly present for me. Verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 14 says it this way. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. (laughs) The spirit of glory and of God rests on you when you suffer for the name of Christ that you experience in that moment, oh, it's true, all the things we talk about Fear not, for I am with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Be not dismayed, be not overwhelmed, for I am the Lord your God. I go before you. I am the righteous one of Israel, and I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but in me, take heart, I am with you. My spirit hovers over you in the midst of your suffering, and so you can have peace. And then finally, number three, suffering for the sake of Christ has a way of solidifying our foundation, sometimes in the most powerful way. So verse 15 and 16 once more says this, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Just as an anecdote, the warning there for us is that when we sin, we'll suffer. Okay, like there is suffering that comes to us when we sin. If, if you suffer for these things, okay, that's different, he's saying. Don't suffer for that. But instead, he says, however, if you suffer as a Christian because you've chosen to stand tall for Christ, don't be ashamed of that. Instead, praise God that you bear his name. The idea is when you're going through suffering, like there's a natural thing that happens to you that you kind of have this droopy head syndrome. Anybody else? I can't see you, but... Okay. When you go through suffering, you have this droopy head syndrome. And what Peter's saying is, no, when you go through suffering, because you've been proclaiming the name of Jesus, because you've been uh, living for Christ, living for righteousness, don't be ashamed of that. Stand strong. 
Stand tall, because you bear his name. And he suffered for you. And you're getting to proclaim his name in the way you live, the beautiful way that you live that's countercultural. And when God gives the opportunity and the beautiful words that you give that point people to the one who wants to save them too, who is countercultural. I, I found, and, I, and I'll close with this, I really do mean it. I've said that several times. <laughs> I found that when I am a little bit insulted, I have two choices. And one option is to kind of backpedal. And I've done that. I'm embarrassed to say I've done that. And when I did, I found that it was easier for me to backpedal again because my backpedaling was reinforced. And so what happened was in that moment, my foundation was softened. It was weakened. I remember it vividly when I did that. When I was challenged by someone in my family. And I backpedaled. I regret that. Other times, I've been challenged. And I've lovingly and graciously said, I'm sorry, I'm going to follow Christ. And uh, I, I'm not going to waver on this. I love you. I understand you disagree. But this is where I stand. And what I found was my foundation got firmer. And I was stronger next time. Suffering, which I... I felt in that moment suffering for the cause of Christ solidified my foundation on the rock of Christ. Friends, what I want to do as we close is ask you to stand with me. And we're going to read and we're going to kind of pray this most challenging, perhaps, of all of the Beatitudes. And after we read it and prayerfully believe it while we say it, I'll pray and then we'll worship together. The word blessed means happy. Happy because we get to identify with Christ. Would you read with me? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, Father, we just want to take a moment right now and we want to pray for our brothers and sisters like Rima all around the world who really suffer for righteousness. Brothers and sisters in places like China, in India, in Iran, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, 
And even now, increasingly in places like England and Ireland and France and brothers and sisters in Nigeria and brothers and sisters in South Sudan, brothers and sisters all across the world that we know who have suffered for the name of Jesus. Oh, we ask, God, that you would bless them. We ask that you would enlarge their faith, that you would strengthen them as they go through this fiery ordeal. In some cases, that they experience physical harm for the name of Jesus. Would you help them to bond together as we need community when we are rejected? Would you help them to bond together? And would you help them to stand in Jesus Christ who stands with them in this hour? And for us, God, we ask a couple things. We ask, number one, though, that you would give us more courage that we would stand for Christ. And I just wonder in this room, like, as our eyes are closed, would you be someone who would be so bold as people are not looking at you right now to say... I would like to be more courageous for Christ Jesus. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, Lord. Keep your hand raised. I'm going to pray for you right now. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for your courage just to say so. People aren't looking at you right now. Father, I pray for these who want to stand more strongly for Jesus Christ, to be more of a light in a dark generation. Lord, would you make us such a generation? that we would stand for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ and we would not fear, that we would be congruent with our words and our actions, that we would be known for love, but we would also be known as those with backbone. Help us even this week. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And maybe you're in a different category today, that you're feeling the insult or the pressure of someone who is bearing down on you because you want to stand for Christ. And if that's you, as eyes are closed here today, would you be willing to raise your hand right now? I see you, brother. Thank you. I see you, sister. Thank you. I see you, brother, in the back, and sister in the back, and, and sister and brother on the right, and sister on the right. I see many of you raising your hand right now. Okay, this is not something that happens elsewhere. This is something that happens in Kearney, Nebraska. And so I pray for these brothers and sisters who are raising their hand or maybe those who are scared to raise their hand. God, would you give them courage to stand for Christ even this week and know that if they're rejected, if they're ridiculed, if they're insulted for the cause of Christ, amen, praise God, they're blessed. So give us courage to do your will here today and help us, Lord, to experience your love and experience community as we experience some pain on this side and as we await glory on the next. We love you, Lord. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen.